The reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. And this can be found on the Church Bible page 1018. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. So Linda's going to conclude our series on encounters in John's Gospel for us this morning. So let's pray for her as she does that. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would come and anoint Linda's words, that they may speak directly into our hearts and minds of encounter with you. We pray that you would open our eyes to see your word. We pray that you would open our ears, that we may hear your voice. We pray that you would move our hearts and minds, that we would search you out afresh. We ask all these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. Yeah, good. Okay, fine. So, we're coming to the end of our series 
of Reflections in John's Gospel. This brings to the end a series of reflections that we've had over the last couple of months when we've been reflecting on how Jesus encountered individual men and women in a very personal, life-changing and transformational way. And John has been very keen to record these encounters for us. As we've seen, one of the main themes running throughout John's Gospel accounts is to do with seeing and recognizing who Jesus is. John focuses strongly on what it means to have our eyes opened and to grasp the truth about who Jesus really is, to meet him and recognize the signs that point to Jesus as God's own son. Seeing and understanding those key events in Jesus' life and ministry as evidence that Jesus is indeed God's son is a key thread in John's gospel. And most biblical scholars suggest that the gospel writer highlights a set, a neat set of seven specific miracles which Jesus undertook. They were deeds of power or signs which point clearly to Jesus' identity and mission as Son of God, Lord of all creation, and Saviour and Healer of all. This makes sense because the writer of John's Gospel is quite explicit about his intention to focus on a limited number of key signs from Jesus' life and ministry. And if you were to look at chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, you would see the gospel writer acknowledge that, of course, Jesus performed many, many, many signs. They're not all recorded in John's gospel. But the seven miracles that are recorded and highlighted were included by the writer so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, But more than that, by believing, you may have life in his name. Why were only seven signs chosen by the writer of John's Gospel? Well, the reason is most likely to be that in Jewish thinking and theology, the number seven represented ultimate perfection. It was the perfect, ideal number. No more, no less was needed to provide the ultimate body of evidence to underpin claims about who Jesus really is. And John's key aim was that an awareness of these seven signs and an understanding of what they meant should lead his listeners and his readers to a personal and ever-deepening belief in Jesus as God's Son and to a growing experience of new life as the life of Jesus himself increasingly inspired and directed their own lives. And interestingly, over the series of reflections in John, we've actually explored two of John's seven signs already in our Encounters with Jesus series. One was the man healed at the pool of Bethesda, and the other was the man healed from blindness. Today's reading presents us with a third of those seven signs, and it's actually the last of John's signs or miracles, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is going to be the most powerful of all the seven signs because it shows Jesus as having power not just over the created world. John showed us the miracles of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding, feeding the 5,000, 
calming the storm. It shows Jesus not just as having power over the frailty of the human body. And three of John's seven signs were about healing. We saw two of them in our own series. This seventh most powerful sign shows Jesus has death over, has a power over death itself. It's also going to be the most provocative sign because it's going to mark the moment when Jesus is irrevocably committed to his journey towards death on a cross in Jerusalem. And if you were to read on in verses 45 and 47 of this chapter, you would see how sides are taken for and against Jesus and how the plot by the authorities to destroy Jesus thickens. So Jesus' raising of Lazarus is a focal point in the dramatic structure of John's gospel, of the story of Jesus' life and death. And it's perhaps no accident that this seventh sign is placed by the gospel writer midway in his account, serving almost like a hinge on which the second half of the action in his gospel turns. It's an event that we see primarily through the eyes of Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary, with whom Lazarus had shared a home in Bethany, which is a village less than two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had become a dangerous place for Jesus to be, for it would be the stage for the final act of his life. And so though we're not going to actually look at the the resurrection of Lazarus, we are going to look at the preceding verses where the encounter with Martha and Mary and Jesus has so much, I think, to tell us today about our own encounters, not just with Jesus, but with others. The home of Martha, Mary and Lazarus in Bethany was a home that Jesus knew well. It was somewhere he'd spent a considerable amount of time while travelling in the area around Jerusalem. And this little family had welcomed Jesus into their home, into their midst, feeding him, serving his needs, offering hospitality and friendship, providing him with a much-needed place of rest and relaxation when he had no place of his own, amidst the busyness of his preaching and teaching ministry. So Martha, Mary and Lazarus were clearly long-standing, close friends of Jesus who loved him dearly, probably as much for who he was as for the inspiring teaching and example that he brought into their home. And I've always felt that the home of Lazarus, Martha and Mary in Bethany provides us today with a powerful model for our own understanding of hospitality to others and to God himself. Are our homes like that little home in Bethany? Does God meet people there in the way that Jesus met with them and with others? We know relatively little about Lazarus, but both Luke's gospel and John's gospel paint us quite a rich picture of the two contrasting characters of his sisters, Martha and Mary. It's likely that Martha was the older of the two, taking the lead in the domestic management of their household. 
Luke tells us that she was clearly an accomplished and dedicated hostess, eager to serve her guests at table and keen to make them feel at home and comfortable. We get a sense of her as a woman of action, and many of us will perhaps readily identify with her desire to get things done in the right way. Mary, on the other hand, seems to have been a quieter, more contemplative character than her sister. She showed herself to be happy, not to be busy serving his needs, but to sit at his feet and to listen to his teaching. A rare privilege for a Jewish woman and something for which Jesus commended her. And as we reflect on Jesus' encounter with Martha and Mary at this point in time, I find myself struck by the way in which it differs quite significantly from the earlier encounters that we've looked at in John. As far as we can tell, most of those earlier encounters were probably with people as they met Jesus for the first time. Nicodemus probably had heard Jesus speak, but we have no knowledge that he had actually met personally, face-to-face with Jesus for an in-depth conversation until he came that night to seek him out. It is likely that the first disciples had heard Jesus speak and preach, but we have no knowledge that before he called them, they had had a close relationship with him. The woman at the well, the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, and the man healed of blindness, it seems, again, encountered Jesus for the first time in the reports that we have explored together in our reflections. But for Martha and Mary, it was a bit different. They already knew Jesus well. Jesus was a long-standing friend, someone who had spent plenty of time in their home, someone who had eaten at their table and slept over when he needed to, someone with whom they had established a deep and loving relationship, someone whose teaching they had heard and admired. And we know this from the early verses of chapter 11. So, given their existing friendship, do you think that Martha and Mary expected Jesus to drop everything and travel to Bethany as soon as he heard that Lazarus was ill? Yes or no? Yes. I think it's likely that they did. He was such a close friend. And do you think they believed and expected that Jesus could and would heal their brother? Yes, Yes, undoubtedly. They had surely seen Jesus heal many times before. They knew that he had the power over illness. And so I wonder what his delay in coming to Bethany provoked in them by way of a reaction. He arrived only after their brother had died. And given he was such a dear friend, this must have surely been a cruel shock. Perhaps even 
a sense of betrayal. They react in different ways. Let's look at that and think a little bit more about why that is. Martha is the first to go out to meet Jesus on the road. And once again, we see this woman of action, not keen to sit still at home and wait until he arrives, but going out to the outskirts of the village. She rushes to meet him, and her opening words to Jesus in verse 21 communicate a sense of regret and possible reproach. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We can hear the if only in her voice. Had Jesus miscalculated? Couldn't he have timed things better and achieved a different outcome? He was, after all, their closest friend. And I wonder how often in your life you've said those words, if only, if only God you had intervened, if only you had stopped that happening, if only you had shown me the clearer path, if only you had given me the strength. I think Jesus accepted that sense of betrayal and reproach, if that was what it was. And he still does today in our own lives. But Martha also comes across as a woman of great faith, despite her ifoni. In verse 22, she boldly declares, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She has still some measure of confidence in this close friend. And as their conversation unfolds in verses 23 to 27, we find a surprising brief theological discussion between them about the nature of resurrection. Martha states her firm belief in the contemporary Jewish view of resurrection at the last day. And then when challenged by Jesus, she states her even more important belief that Jesus is the Messiah. So we can see as their encounter unfolds that Martha already believes in Jesus as the Son of God. But I find myself wondering if this is something that she believes rather more in her head than in her heart. What difference does her faith make to her lived experience in the here and now moment? And to what extent can we sometimes be like Martha in our faith? It's there in our head. We know the doctrine. But how does it impact our own experience of daily living? The interaction with Jesus and Mary is a little different. Mary has stayed in the house. She didn't rush out to meet Jesus as Martha did. And it seems as if Jesus actually has to send Martha back home to bring Mary out to join him. Perhaps she was reluctant. Perhaps the sense of betrayal was so great she couldn't face Jesus. Perhaps she was just paralyzed by grief. But when Mary does reach the place where Jesus is, she falls, distraught 
and weeping at his feet. And she says the same words as her sister in verse 32. Lord, if only you had been here. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, we can hear that if only. Why did he not intervene sooner? In contrast to her sister, Mary doesn't engage in a theological discussion with Jesus about the nature of resurrection. She simply lets her heart pour out in grief. Perhaps so much so that Jesus too is deeply affected emotionally in verse 33 and moved to tears in verse 35. But of course we know that Mary is different in her approach from Martha. A week or so later we shall see Mary fall again at the feet of Jesus. And without words she will anoint his feet, his body, with costly perfume, shed tears and wipe them away with her hair. Mary has always struck me as somebody who engages physically in a response rather than perhaps intellectually in a response to Jesus. But one of the things I find so moving and encouraging about Jesus' encounter with both Martha and Mary at this crisis point in their lives is how he interacted with them and accepted their differing approaches They were so different in nature. They behaved differently. And what was appropriate in his encounter with one was not necessarily going to be appropriate in his encounter with the other. He respected their differences. He appreciated and valued their individuality. And he met them in the way that was right for them. For Martha, perhaps a conversation about resurrection truth was the natural thing to do. Maybe even what she desperately needed at that point. She has always struck me as a woman who actually held it together quite well. And perhaps this discussion about resurrection was part of her way of holding things together. For Mary, no such discussion was needed. It was simply enough to be at Jesus' feet to weep there and to have him weep with her. And in our times of great personal crisis or need, we can be confident that Jesus accepts us just as we are in whatever way we approach him, whether we are more like Martha running to meet him and to confront and challenge him with our questions and our declarations, or whether we are more like Mary Reluctant to approach, perhaps because we are overwhelmed by our grief and lost for words. Whatever we are like, Jesus meets with us as we are and accepts us as we are. And maybe his interaction with these two women can also help us in our own encounters with those who are bereaved 
or facing significant loss. I think these encounters remind us that people differ in how they react at times of grief and stress. That we may need to be sensitive and adjust our interaction with them accordingly. And we can seek God's help and discernment in this. Sometimes words will be appropriate, sometimes not. Sometimes questions about life and death and resurrection will need to be addressed and discussed. But sometimes all that will be needed is to sit alongside someone as they weep and maybe even to join our own tears with theirs. Although this passage illustrates Martha and Mary's differing encounters with Jesus, the one experience, of course, that they do share is the way in which Jesus surprises and overturns their expectations as he engages with them. Whatever point Martha and Mary have reached in their own faith journeys, thus far, as a result of their Jewish heritage and through their close friendship with Jesus, he nonetheless opens their eyes, their minds and their hearts to a much, much greater vision of God's power and eternal purposes than they could have possibly developed to date. He leads them gently onwards in their faith journey into a deeper and fuller appreciation of who he is and what he can do in their lives. And though they don't know it yet, their brother will be restored to them in full. Resurrection is not simply a future hope. Resurrection is not just a Jewish doctrine, an intellectual matter of the head, nor is it simply an emotional conviction of the heart. Jesus is, as he says, the resurrection and the life, here and now. Resurrection is possible through his presence with us, as he was with Martha and Mary. Resurrection is centred upon a person, not a theory or a doctrine or a belief even, but rather a relationship of trust and confidence in that person. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, the Master of time and eternity, is the only one able to bring the future hope of resurrection into the present reality of grief and loss. And this is the truth that Martha and Mary will see demonstrated before their very eyes as Jesus commands the stone to be removed from the entrance to Lazarus' tomb, and as he calls their brother back into life and relationship with his family and friends. Future hope is brought by Jesus into present reality. Eternity penetrates time and space again, just as it did at Jesus' birth. Heaven and earth are reconciled according to God's eternal purposes. In the story of Jesus' encounter with Martha and Mary, we see Jesus drawing each of them personally, transformationally, into an ever-deepening relationship of trust in who he is and what he can mean in their lives. 
He does that in a way that they do not expect. He overturns their expectations, however reasonable those expectations might have been. And in the midst of their problems and their distress, he meets them with new possibilities. And I just want to read a short paragraph to conclude from Tom Wright's commentary on John's Gospel relating to this passage. He describes how Jesus encounters Martha and Mary at the point where they are. And he encourages us too to follow their example and to come before him, to share the problem in whatever way is natural to us, with words or without words. He gives us permission to ask Jesus why he didn't come sooner, why he allowed something awful to happen. And then, says Tom Wright, be prepared for a surprising response. I can't predict what the response will be for the very good reason that it is always, always a surprise. But I do know, says Tom Wright, the shape that it will take. Jesus will meet your problem with some new part of God's future that can and will burst into your present time, into the mess and the grief, with good news, with hope, with new possibilities. So perhaps we can pray this week that we too will be open, as were Martha and Mary, to God's Spirit at work in us, deepening and strengthening our relationship with Jesus so that we may grow in faith and experience resurrection power in our own everyday living. Amen.